I'm Caleb Brown, host of the Cato Daily Podcast. If you value our work, please consider supporting us by becoming a podcast sponsor. If you become a new sponsor or if you renew your current sponsorship by increasing your gift, the impact of your investment in the Cato Institute will be doubled thanks to one of our generous sponsors who will be matching your gift dollar for dollar. The only way to do it is to visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and make that donation. Cato accepts no government money. We depend on the generosity of sponsors to help us advance the values of individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and support the Cato Daily Podcast and the Cato Institute. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, December 26, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The American trend toward decriminalizing or legalizing cannabis for medical and recreational purposes continued at the ballot box this year. Cato's Trevor Burris details what regulation of cannabis might look like in 2021 and whether federal descheduling is on the table. This year has seen a lot of big change with respect to uh, cannabis laws. And specifically uh, at the ballot box and at least uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives with minor Republican support. So what does 2021 look like with respect to uh, the legality of cannabis? It's an interesting question. I think we'll see more states legalized. We had four legalized this year uh, with some weird fights going on in South Dakota right now, New Jersey, Montana. We've seen, so we're seeing, we'll see more states. Uh, the, the federal question is weird because I think that we're in a kind of conundrum for a lot of lawmakers. Uh, a lot of lawmakers might support legalization and they might want to get the federal government out of the sort of marijuana prohibition business. But they don't feel like they have to make that vote. No, nothing is really pushing them to like just like get out there and make sure that we have to make that vote. They think everything's working fine in the 15 now states that have legalized. And so what is why does the federal government really have to push this issue? But at the same time, uh, this is not true. There are many problems because right now, so right now I'm in Colorado, for example, that marijuana is simultaneously legal and illegal here. Creates huge problems with banking, creates huge problems with research, uh, trying to get marijuana to research it for, say, medical purposes. So really, we just have to deschedule the whole thing. The question for the coming administration and Joe Biden has said that he's a decriminalization guy, but not necessarily a legalization guy. I think he's kind of old school in the sense of he has the idea, he has the word gateway drug constantly running through his head, and he wants to know if it's a gateway drug. This this kind of idea that that you smoke marijuana and it goes to heroin and all these kind of things, which is not true, by the way. Well, let's be fair, so, not directly to heroin. No, <laughs> they're, they're intervening steps. Yes, <laughs> yeah. And so I, so I don't see them pushing it in the next two years. Um, this is one one thing I've said when when Jeff Sessions was the attorney general, and Jeff Sessions was you know is, was is famously very anti marijuana. I was kind of begging for him to come into Colorado and Washington and, and crack down on marijuana. I have federal troops go raid dispensaries in Colorado because that is the quickest way to have suddenly the Congress be like, wow, okay, we need to do something here because this is not okay. Or Ivy League college campuses. Exactly. Yeah, just use some of those drug warriors should really, you know, get out their frustrations on these Ivy League campuses. And But they know that that's one of the quickest ways to, to legalize. So I don't see it on the Biden agenda, high on the Biden agenda. 
agenda. But it is, I mean, I've been perplexed by this for a while because support for marijuana legalization is extremely high. And so why aren't lawmakers coming up and taking these votes? Because we, as you pointed out, we had a descheduling bill for the first time pass out of the House, 228 votes with uh, five Republicans and Justin Amash supporting it and and basically every Democrat. So that was a big step, a little bit symbolic. They didn't do it before the election for a reason because they didn't want the political, they thought there was more political losses than gains to make for their members to take that vote. But we do have a bill passed out of the House that for the first time, so we had the first marijuana federal law in 1937, and now since 1970, it's been Schedule One. So that's a big deal. It is weird to think of Joe Biden as a decriminalization guy in any sense for basically any drug that was illegal during any time in which he served in public office. <laughs> yes, he's he's got a patchwork record. Uh, some people try to use it against him in the campaign, but I think if you spend 47 years in government... You're going to have to make a lot of uh, kind of go with the flow in one way. So he went with the flow in the 80s and early 90s with massive criminal penalties for drugs and other things, including for marijuana. Um, and the belief, again, that it's a gateway drug and leads to other things. And, you know, he's 76 years old, or I guess maybe 77 now. It's kind of hard to sometimes change people who are, are that old, change their mind. Uh, people growing up today or people, you know, maybe in their 40s, like marijuana has been not this sort of scary drug for a very long time. But for people Joe Biden's age, you know, for a while, marijuana was considered a very, very frightening drug by people. So yes, it's kind of interesting. Um, now, what Biden can do, there's a couple of things that he can do. And I think he might do these things. For one thing, he's, he can change how, he can use executive orders to change how marijuana can be accessed for research purposes. That's one thing he can do. He can order a review of the of the literature, the scientific literature to say whether or not marijuana should be schedule one. Um, but again, I don't see any of this as a priority. He, he's got the pandemic. He's got of course, you know, climate change things he cares about more. Uh, and so I see marijuana at least taking a break until at least 2022, I would think. It's it's weird though, because it it doesn't seem complicated for the House and potentially a Democratic Senate to just drop a a clean descheduling bill on his desk. I know. And and it, that's what I that's what I've written about. It needs to be a descheduling bill. It's the best way to make sure that we don't have various special interests capturing the marijuana industry so that, so to kind of go back a little bit. So marijuana is schedule 1, which means under the statute it has no acknowledged medical uses and it has a high potential for abuse. So other drugs that are schedule 1 are heroin for example and LSD and MDMA. Now, and, not people, and notably, as we've we've talked about several times before, cocaine not a Schedule One drug. <laughs> exactly, Schedule Two is methamphetamine is Schedule Two. Um, so, if you can prove a medical use of marijuana, then theoretically, you would, in some way, of prove this has always been a problem. You would force them to reschedule it to maybe Schedule Two, which says it has some medical uses but a high potential for abuse. But as you point out, Caleb. This doesn't really solve much. Cocaine is not widely available. There are still very stiff penalties for cocaine. It's just easier to get it for some medical applications. Uh, so we don't want to move it within the schedules. And one reason for this, too, is is the nature of marijuana, where marijuana is an entire plant with 
500 or so active cannabinoids, flavonoids, terpenoids, all these kind of things that, that create the kind of constellation effect. And, and the FDA and doctors, they don't like that kind of you know, smoking a whole plant as medicine is just completely out the window to them. Just the smoking, first of all. But they want single substance medicines, THC, CBD. and Because and if you're a regulator, water. if you're a regulator, that makes sense to you. That's, you can understand this chemical and to approve this chemical doesn't mean you're approving that chemical. Uh, and if if the effects are not well understood by the scientists who work for you, then uh, you're not likely to uh, allow that to go through. Yeah, I've, I've said before that the FDA is as likely to approve whole plant marijuana as medicine as they are chicken soup. So chicken soup is you know definitely good for you, and you know it feels good when you're sick. But there are all these different compounds in chicken soup that they're not going to approve as as a medicine. But again, we need to have the federal government treat this like alcohol, because uh, like if I asked you right now, if I said Okay, uh, let's say alcohol was discovered tomorrow. So the again, the, the the things on schedule one is no acknowledged medical use and a high potential for abuse. So which schedule should alcohol be in? Well, you can make a pretty good case that it should be in schedule one. Okay, so let's put the word alcohol into the statute. So now that includes everything from white wine to Everclear uh, to you know your uncle's moonshine. If you just put alcohol into that statute, well, that's is that's why it's ridiculous to just put for the same reasons to just put marijuana in the statute when it contains so many different types of substances. There's so many different strains of it. There's high THC strains. There's low THC strains. There's all these different substances within. And so just like the federal government doesn't really regulate alcohol and lets the states take care of what's legal, say. For example, actually, really high proof Everclear. There is a there is a ninety five percent pure Everclear that is illegal in fourteen states. Um, so, you, the states can regulate. You know, three two beer. Back when they used to have more states that have three two beer or dry counties. This is the way alcohol is treated, and this is the way we should be treating marijuana, and just get the federal government out of it. When the House voted to deschedule marijuana, uh, they also voted to create some new taxes. They voted to create some new crimes that would be associated with this. Um, but of course, removing uh, cannabis from Schedule 1, in a sense, eliminates a lot of crimes too, uh, at least for people who are uh, making engaged in that, uh, the, the trade or use or possession of, of, of that plant. Uh, and Thomas Massey, who uh, I should note in the interest of full disclosure, is my congressman. Uh, here in the fourth district of the U.S. House uh, in Kentucky, and uh, he didn't support that. And his his claims were: this is creating new taxes, this is creating new crimes, and a potentially unlimited slew of regulations surrounding it. And I try to give that you know a full full consideration that that notion that new taxes, new regulation, potentially new crimes. Um, but when you're trying to evaluate what is a win for liberty, oh yeah, I got to think that descheduling cannabis is a win for liberty. Yeah, you see libertarians do this, and it always gets me where where they don't get you know for one thing is if they don't get everything they want, they get really mad. But but they also get 
almost conspiratorial sometimes when you say, oh, this is going to be big businesses. They're going to take over marijuana. And I mean, I don't like taxes either, but I, I would gladly change a tax, a 5% tax on marijuana for the prohibitionary regime we have right now. And and look, we, we have some problems. If we go back at alcohol, use alcohol as a, again, alcohol as a guidepost. We have some problem with some regulatory issues in our interstate alcohol market. We have the wholesaler distributor, we have the producer, wholesaler, distributor, retailer kind of uh, triumvirate, which is a kind of monopoly created by the kind of alcohol regulations we have. And yes, when we when we re- with when we repealed the the 18th Amendment, we created some regulatory schemes for alcohol, and there are federal crimes related to alcohol, say smuggling large amounts of alcohol and things like this. But isn't that better? than prohibition. That has to be better than prohibition. And I don't think we're going to see a clean bill. I mean, first of all, as you know, Caleb, they can't resist the taxes. There's no way. They, they, they cannot resist the taxes on marijuana. And so that at least is something I think we're going to have to accept. But yes, we can complain all we want about taxes and everything, but you know, 5% tax versus prison time, uh, I'd absolutely take the tax. In terms of other crimes, this is, in, this is sort of entailed in letting these states run most of their local marijuana kind of legislation, that there will be federal crimes about interstate transportation and things like this. Again, better than just the straight up prohibition we have uh, from the federal level. So, I, you know, don't let the perfect be, be the enemy of the good here. Uh, this was not the best bill, but it was definitely better than what we have. Yeah. It's interesting to consider that uh, in the Obama administration, there was this sort of quiet pledge not to engage in states that had uh, legalized cannabis for either medical or uh, recreational purposes, and yet the the drug warrior agencies continued. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, they did to some extent. Yeah, I mean, perhaps to a lesser mar- extent. Marijuana hasn't been a huge priority, and, and this is it is true. Like the DEA can come in and uh, crack down on you know. I don't, I mean, again, I'm in Colorado right now. So my next door neighbor will just, you know, maybe not a bad chance that he has some sort of marijuana. Um, they can absolutely come in and crack down, but they, they don't have the manpower or really the, the will to do this. They don't want to come to come in and arrest some guy for smoking weed in his basement, even though he's committing a federal crime. They do have a little bit more will to stop someone from buying, going, buying up, you know, pounds and pounds and pounds of marijuana legally in Colorado and then driving around South Dakota or the, in North Dakota and everywhere Let's else say Utah. Like, like Johnny Apple like Johnny Appleseed you know throwing it out the window or something <laughs> they might have a problem with that um and so that's where they're putting their enforcement but again they would they care more about heroin and things like this which is which is fine uh, so you still see it yes you still see some some crimes and again that's the way it's going to be uh, it, it, we will have, let's say we remove scheduling entirely. The South is way behind, uh, the, much of the rest of the country or most of the South doesn't even have legal medical marijuana. So we're going to have to deal with what happens when someone brings marijuana from one state where it is legal to another state where it is illegal in terms of maybe that being a federal crime, for example. Uh, and that might be a compromise we're willing to make. And then we also talk about all these kind of interstate transportation issues. It's inevitable in a federal system. Uh, and it's not, it's not impossible to solve. But it's we, it's better to come in with the patchwork than with this sort of one size fits all federal prohibition regime. 
Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute and editor-in-chief of Cato's Supreme Court Review. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.